educational outreach programs where you let people know that this is a choice. Because we, we had we a lot of country boys who came from L.A., Lower Alabama, that we went to school with, who <laughs> would have loved forestry, but just didn't know it was an option. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and, and another thing is a misconception by a lot of families because we've had people say, well, I wanted to do that, but my mom said, no, you're not majoring in that. And they have a misconception that it's not a way to make a living. And we need to we need to educate parents on that. Because we are all successful, all doing well. But they think, okay, I'm going to send my child out here and they're going to be in the woods and they ain't going to make any money and that kind of you know mentality. But that's not the case. Greetings, good morning, good day, good evening, good afternoon. I don't know what time it is, wherever you are when you're hearing this episode. This is another episode of the Heartwood Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Richard Easley, a.k.a. the Hip Hop Forester. I got to say this right now, a.k.a. Bulldog, because I'm fortunate. I got to give a little bit of like my history just real quick. I'm fortunate that I'm a Bulldog three times, three times. Uh, I worked at Yale, which is a Bulldog as a dean. I attended University of Georgia in Athens as an exchange student, just Bulldogs. But I'm going to say, I got to say it, but more importantly, I started my career and my professional trajectory at Alabama Agricultural and Mechanical University in Norman, Alabama, which I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. So I'm all, I have to do that. I always have to say that because I think that sometimes when people would introduce me, they would always forget the most important institution, which is Alabama a and uh, you know, because they gave me a chance. They uh, taught me forestry. It's the only institution that puts out the most black foresters in the country. And today I'm honored, pleased, excited. And I can use a whole bunch of other adjectives right now because I'm talking to not just one, but two, two of my friends who are also classmates, who are also scholars, scientists, and foresters, and also my sisters. So it's going to be a different podcast today. Everyone I'm talking to, none other, okay, than Stephanie Love, Dr. Iris Montague, the U.S. Forest Service should be proud. They should be very proud. USDA should be very proud because I know I am. I know that the Bulldogs uh, are proud. The Hill is proud. Queens, what's going on? How y'all doing? And thank y'all for being here. What's happening? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Listen, y'all. These these two leaders. That's what they, so that's, that's the only thing that I'm going to give them now, leaders. They have worked with the Forest Service, have worked in civil rights, have worked in diversity, have also done uh, a lot of scientists and scientific research in particular. I know uh, Dr. Montague uh, working in Mississippi. So you're not we're not talking to people where diversity is just like, oh, we're just going to talk about diversity. No, we're talking about people who have decorated careers, who have helped to impact the industry. Or I should say profession. They have helped to diversify not just them, but with the people that they brought in, whether it's family or students. Stephanie's there at Alabama A&M University. So, oh, not just raising the flag, making the lab better for other people to come in. Then, of course, we have Dr. Montague doing this work down in Mississippi. Because of y'all, I think these spaces are safer. Thank you for the work that you all do. And um, I just want to get into it, everybody. Let's get into it. Okay. We had, I think, a good experience at Alabama A&M. You all were a year, a year or two years ahead of me. But you always... uh, you know, looked out for me, you know, like hooked me up if I had questions about things. So I thank you for that. And with that, I want to start with something because you all went to a before me. And so I'm interested in how, 
it, it's just go there. Alabama and is a great institution. How can we get more, let's say, young people interested in foresters, forestry, excuse me, young environmentalists also, you know, to commit to, I'm saying general historical black colleges and universities, and then I'll talk about Alabama A&M. So can we like just give, can we just bring it to the macro to bring the micro? That's okay. Y'all went before me. What do you think it takes to bring more of us to HBCUs now? I just, um, I really think that there has to be a knowledge of the history of HBCUs. You'd be amazed at the number of um, Black people, Black children, who are not aware of HBCUs, not aware of the history. And if they are, they have the misconception that an HBCU is inferior than a PWI. So we need to work on uh, the understanding that that's not the case, that you have all kinds of great people who attended HBCUs, graduated from HBCUs, and are successful. And in most cases, in my my knowledge of HBCUs, I believe that we actually get a better education than we do at PWIs. Yeah, I agree, Iris. Um, I'll tell y'all what I do to make sure that I'm planting the seed. Uh, my contribution, I published a 360-degree recruitment approach, outreach approach. So, you know, to, when you're out engaging with youth, planting the seed, like Dr. Money, you just talked about, um, you're getting the incoming, you know, the secondary education students, um, you're planting the seed of careers and college paths when they're in high school and giving them ideas about, you know, what they could be, you know, how they can contribute to society beyond being a lawyer or a doctor um, or a teacher or the things that, you know, the most common majors. And then, um, you know, to getting out and talking to the public to try to recruit um, non-traditional students, like those in junior colleges who want to, um, you know, to move on through higher education. That's how I do it. I try to touch every age group and put the word out. It's a lot of, like Dr. Montague said, there's a lot of misconceptions. And there are a lot of things that people just don't know. You know, like me, when I was coming to college, I didn't have a major. I was undecided major. Um, and I heard someone speak. Um, we all know Miss Louise White. She is the godmother of forestry at Alabama A&M University, and I would stay in the South. Um, and I heard her speak, and that sparked my interest. And I thought, hmm, I'll try that. I had no idea what forestry was. And here I am, you know, 25 years later, um, because I heard someone speak. So I try to be that person that I needed at that time um, to plant some seeds into my mind about what, you know, all the things that I could be all the things that I can do and all the contributions that I can make. So we just got to get out and pound the ground. Uh, we need to increase marketing. I don't think that we as an HBCU community do a, the best job that we can do with marketing our program and um, getting those options out there. So that's what I think, Tom. It's great. No, no, no. Thank you. And just for people who may not know, when I say HBCUs, that stands for historically black colleges and universities. And then when we say PWI, that's predominantly white institutions. And being that all three of us went to the Hill, I'm interested in what made you want to go. Now I'll admit, 
when I graduated high school, I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm kind of like you, Stephanie. I, I had no idea. And then I found that USDA summer program, okay, where we got to stay up in Foster and everything. And that was where it started for me. And I worked for tissue culture under Dr. Ken Ward and Dr. Well, Dr. Rafina Ward. Actually. She was my mentor. Dr. Ward became my professor later, but it was Dr. Rafina Ward. She was the scientist that basically, uh, you know, exposed me to tissue culture and genetics, which is why I became a forest geneticist too. So I thank you, Dr. Ward. So why did you all, you know, want to go, or you both want to go to Alabama Well, for me, it had nothing to do with forestry. Um, I, I went to Alabama a because of the marching maroon and white band. I wanted to be on the dance team. I tried out for the dance team, and I went to school, and I majored in dance team. And that's why I wanted to go to Alabama a University. And you speak of that program, and, you know, we're still pounding that program out. Um, I'm working on that right now. We're doing recruitment. We still have the apprenticeship program. We pay $1,000 um, for the students to come on campus. It's a residential program. They stay in the dorms, eat with the meal card, and work with a mentor scientist. We're still doing that, Thomas. That's one of our huge recruitment programs for incoming freshmen, and it works. It works for you and many others. Um so we're still doing that. And I actually, um, Stephanie and I are both from the, the Huntsville area. So, you know, Huntsville is home for us. And I have always been a mama's girl where I said, I don't need to go out of state or out of town to college. Um, my mother worked at Alabama A&M for 48 years. I had other relatives that worked there. So that was home every summer. My mother put me in a science-based educational program where I literally went to school all year round because we were in these programs at a &M. So I knew where I was going. I didn't have an idea about forestry. Um, I started off wanting to be a, a chemical engineer. Then I went to wanting to um, maybe do animal science. And I actually stumbled upon forestry because I had filled out a scholarship, the USDA 1890 scholarship. And um, the only reason I feel that out is because I had a mother who um, knew the importance of education. She was first-generation college student with her siblings. And so um, she wanted to make sure that um, we were properly educated. So she had me fill out this scholarship, the 1890 scholarship. Um, I had no interest in filling it out. It was a thick and I'm talking about thick little application that it was like, it wanted your life history on it. And I was like, why do I need to fill this out? Because my mother works at AM. I get tuition assistance. I don't need to do this. But she, as mothers will be, as black mothers will be, as we know, I filled that scholarship out. And I got a call um, the end of my senior year in high school. And I cannot remember the gentleman's name, but he called me and he was like, um, I'm so-and-so at the U.S. Forest Service. Uh, how would you like for your tuition to be paid, your room and board to be paid, your books to be paid? You get a computer, you get to work every summer, and then when you graduate, you have a job. And I had no idea what the Forest Service was, never heard of it before. And I was like, sure. I mean, who would turn that down for real? And so um, I I actually, they said, you know, of course, you go to Alabama and m which, you know, was always the plans. And so when I got there that first semester, 
um, when we had orientation, I was like, I wanted to do animal science. But then I was like, well, I am going to be a forestry. I'm going to work for the Forest Service, so I might as well major in forestry. And I kind of stumbled upon it and ended up falling in love with it. And 20, almost 30-something years later, I'm still here enjoying what I do. Um, glad that I got the experience and kind of stumbled upon forestry. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you, Alps. I want to add a little bit of extra stuff. I had a cousin who was a, a dean there, Dr. Philip Redrick, may he rest in peace. So I had family there, Ralph Redrick, Archiva Redrick. My sister went to A&L. My cousins went to A&L. So the Hill has educated my family. Now, the Horn has educated my mom. So that's the only thing that tarnishes her perfection. You know, but it's okay. It's okay. You're not a bad mistake, you know. It's, it's Y'all all right. We still got to give us some love, you know. We give them HBCU love. We don't give them as much as we give the other ones, but we still give them love. That's right. Okay, just want to put that out there, okay? But, hey, much respect to Alabama State. Alitas, I want to ask you now, you've been in the industry, and I just want to say this, child, neither, none of us look as long as we've been working. I can, all, I can all that say that, okay? Because this is the truth. So how do you employ knowledge learned at an HBCU? And I just want to just jump in by saying, like, they taught, I remember when I was at a it wasn't just a, the the degree education. I got a lot of life education. I was a member of Manners. Then I became president of Manners. Remember how they were training us how to get ready for the conference? We had to know how to speak. We had to know how to dress. We have to know how to represent ourselves, eat at the table. Like they they taught us this at 18. When I, I remember when I went to NC State, we were teaching people that later. And I was, but I was like, no, nah, when I went to school, they got us ready for that immediately. And it taught me how to engage with people. So when I worked in Montana, being all the black person up there, I didn't lose myself. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I knew who I was. I was grounded. I was anchored. So one thing I can say that knowledge that I employed from there was how to be proud of myself and how to know that I was intelligent and value that and to know that I technically wasn't alone, even though I was physically, but not alone in this industry. How do you employ knowledge that you learned at Alabama a and extensively use the network that we have developed like you know right now i'm sitting here with y'all so you know we've developed a network um over our years at school and beyond that really transcends college you know i think that i have sat in a lot of seats because of the network that i've developed with colleagues and classmates um, it has put me in position. Um, most of all, right now, you know, so long ago, I can't remember. Um, but right now, in the seat that I sit in right now, I'm the National Diversity Student Programs Manager. I'm the person who now calls the students, like that man called Irish so many years ago. So I'm that person now. And I'm already ready for barrier analysis. So is the government caught up to environmental injustice, you know, a few years ago, and they employed all these executive orders, all government agencies, especially USDA, really pounced on doing barrier analysis. What are we doing wrong? What are our challenges? Um, and work, increasing workforce diversity. And I lived it. Um, I lived, it was experiential learning. Um, and there were times that, I know that y'all know that it was tough, you know, when we were out in those rural areas by ourselves, trying to be foresters, trying to learn something on the job. 
um, we lived a lot of things that you could never explain to anyone. And people who are working on barrier analysis and trying to, um, you know, eradicate injustice and increase diversity and especially workforce diversity, you can't relate unless you were there. Um, and we were there. We lived it. So that's probably more valuable to me where I sit now because I can speak from a place and offer some expertise that you just, you could never learn it. You would have to be there. And we were there. I, I absolutely agree with Stephanie. Um, I think being, going to HBCU and getting a degree in a profession where you are often one of the only or one of the few, I think we, we got taught different things. Um, we got taught that, unfortunately, like I said, there's perception that we are inferior. So we always got taught that we had to show up better than. And that went with when we do presentations, you know, none of us were able to do presentations unless we were dressed up. You had to be dressed up. And I, you know, I also went to University of Georgia and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a triple bulldog. I got two degrees at Alabama A&M and one at the University of Georgia. And when I went to the University of Georgia, there was a difference. It was like, okay, y'all don't dress up when y'all do inter interviews or presentations or y'all don't do this, you know, stuff that we were taught. And I noticed that when we go to a HBCU, we develop a family. Like Stephanie said, there is a network that we develop. I know, and I stay in touch with a lot of my classmates from A&M. And I can't say the same for, you know, Georgia, unfortunately, because it's such a big school. Your class size is, is a lot bigger than you would at A&M. And so you don't have that, that networking or that camaraderie or that, that, that friendship. You don't develop that often um, that you get at, at a HBCU. And so I really appreciate that because like Stephanie said, a lot of the things that we do is because of who we know, who we've we've had dealings with or interactions with in the past. And it just is it's to me it's just a different feeling going to an HBCU than going to PWI as a black woman majoring in forestry. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of the things that we have experienced although they're uncomfortable, we really were uh, developed at A&M to deal with those things. We were told about those things. It didn't come as a surprise or a shock. And I think that's a difference in going to an HBCU because they, they kind of condition you and get you ready for the experiences that you will have as a minority in forestry and natural resources, whereas if you go to a PWI, you don't necessarily get that that training and that experience. Jump in on that. I think that's very powerful. And so we have great questions from our from our leader here. They already asked number three and four, brother. I'm just saying. But still, uh, but um, I love how you just said. I love what both of you said. But in particular, Iris, when you said uh, like they prepared us. You know, we talk about how they prepared us a certain way. Stephanie goes back to, we're still using the network today. I mean, we're on this podcast today because of our relationship that started at Alabama a and you know, years ago. Uh, how would you say, how do you navigate then these terrains of professionalism that may not be inclusive of how we learned at an HBCU? And how do we stay within the legacy 
of our ancestors that established our alma mater. Now, for the answer, I want to say something. We were at out uh, Society of American Foresters this past year. You know, they got a black CEO, so they got all of the Terry Baker, who also went to Florida a and and went to Yale. So, um, and I remember when we walked in there, I, we, Iris and I both were talking about our folks' dress. We were like, well, here we go. You know, we just, mm-hmm, you know. And I thought about, uh, and, and I thought about that, how we really were, I was almost say reared to make sure that you always presented yourself great. Um, I want to kind of say that because I do feel like schools don't do as positive or strong of a job as they did when we were in school, because I feel that we're of a different generation. I know that, but like, like complaining about the work environment, we didn't really have that luxury. You know, we didn't really get a chance to do that. We couldn't be taken away from work. We had to stay there and finish it out. We had to do what we had to do. And plus we had things on the line. We had scholarships on the line you know, and finishing up our education. But I want to ask the question again. How do you navigate these terrains of professionalism that may not be inclusive of how we learned at an HBCU? And how do we stay within the legacy of our ancestors that established our, our alma mater, Mr. William Hooper Castle? Okay, anyway, just want to put that out there. All right, thank you. Yeah. Well, that's a tough question. Um, so... You know, I, I, I come from, and we talked about this at SAF, we come from a generation of parents that raised us who were deep in the civil rights movement, the civil rights era, where it was a lot of things that they had to deal with because of the color of their skin that was unfortunate, and it, it probably made them feel certain ways because there were certain things that they had to do or say because if not, it could be very detrimental. We were taught how to carry ourselves in uh, spaces that weren't inclusive to us. We were taught that from kids. Um, so we we are used to that. Um, and it, it's unfortunate that, you know, still in 2023, we still have to deal with some of those things. But those are things that we were taught because it, it, it was going to happen. We were going to be in situations where we were not welcome. Um, and we were taught that. Um, and so, you know, and I hate to say it, it's kind of that thing where, you know, suck it up, buttercup. You know, this is this is something you're going to have to deal with. So, you know, how do you do that and remain professional? Keep your job, you know, be successful at your job. And so um, it, it, it's hard sometimes when you go into places where you know you're not welcome. But like I said, that's what we've been taught. It's been ingrained in, in us as kids. It's been ingrained in us at, at HBCU that you're going to get to places where they don't want you there. So you have to remain professional. You have to know how to carry yourself so that at the end of the day, you still have a job, you're safe, and then you're successful. And unfortunately, you know, it's it's still like that in some situations. Um, and, you know, it's it's... I hate to say it's just one of those things where, you know, okay, th- this is the hand that I'm dealt if I want to be in this profession. So let me make the best of it. And it's really just trying to figure out your personal self, things that you will and will not put up with. You know, um, like they say, there's some battles worth fighting. And then there's some things that you just kind of let go. And unfortunately, like I said, there's still situations where that happens. 
Absolutely. Um, I would, I would say, you know, with class, grace and poise, we were prepared um, for what we should expect. You know, it's the power of the pre-work seminar. Y'all remember the pre-work seminar. That doesn't happen everywhere. That's a new idea in lots and lots of spaces. But we were we were taught what to expect. And if you have the knowledge of what to expect, of course, you encounter surprises. Um, you know, it's a surprise every time something happens. You know, it's a surprise. But you have an expectation. You know, you have an expectation um, uh, that these things could happen, and what you're not going to find. You know, the pre-work seminar is filled with what you're not going to find when you go out to your summer location or your duty station. Um, and it's very important to, you know, poise yourself because there are going to be people in certain environments who want to drag you into the stereotype of being the angry black person and that's the dark um so you have to expect it and then deal with it with class and grace i think it's easier now to navigate those roads because there are rules in place you know there are executive orders and laws um, not just the Civil Rights Act of 1964, but beyond that, you know. So now you can call people on the, you know, to the table for any infraction of, you know, the, the behaviors that are not supporting an increase in diversity or inclusivity. Back then, when we were coming through, that wasn't necessarily the case. So I think it's easier now um, to navigate those roads than it was when we were coming through. Professor still jumped by to me. Thank you all for that. You know, I think about Dr. George Brown, you know, I teach an intro to forestry and biometry. People was afraid of that class. I used it, unfortunately. I love it. Me too, I love Brown. Dr. Carla Bill, even though I took public speaking, her classes were gotten ready to do presentations. Like yes. she didn't play and she, but I really felt there was genuine love and care, you know, Absolutely. for her and made this professor rest in peace, Dr. Eric Fells. Um, Bennett, this, this professor, okay. He was a siblings, <laughs> Mason, brilliant man. And he taught us, um, our, this was our, this was our computer class. Yes. And he, and I'm telling you what I learned in 97, I'm still using in 23. And, but his class was, it, it was, it's not that the material was hard. He was hard. He was. He didn't, he did play. He didn't play. And his last name was fail. So that tells you something. And I could tell from her faces. I could tell from everybody's face. Okay. But the thing that Dr. Fails did when you did ace his class and then you didn't have to take the final, the relationship shifted. I, 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 I distinctly remember that. I remember how he was. I remember when me and Jill when Jill Burns were in the same class. When he when we passed, something turned. And then I remember we walked out and when we came back to see him, you know, he talked to us a little bit different. And that told me, oh, we earned his respect. And even though he was hard on us, I remember remember when we had little protests and stuff going on at the school. I still remember this man told me I, I went to I was so afraid of him, I went to class. No, I okay, I missed other classes, <laughs> but I went to his class, and when I walked in there, this is when I knew Dr. Fields was on something different. He said, Mr. Easley, you okay today? And I was like, yes, sir. And I was the only one that I was like, yes, sir. He said, why are you in here? And I said, because class starts 
He said, I think you might do yourself better if you out there with your friends on the yard. And I and that's my like, hey man, he's not as close minded as I thought. He's not this man told me to go stand with my classmates. So with that, I just that's a little history, y'all, and just wanted to just do that because now I want to ask my friends another question. And I, this is from the forestry perspective now with your profession in particular. Wait a minute, Bennett, you came off like, did you want to say something? I apologize, brother. No, no, no. I was just responding. I was just going with it. Okay. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. I, I was making sure that, that my brothers are. Appreciate you, leader. He was enjoying the story. Okay. Oh, okay. All right, then. Do you notice? I'm just feeling like I know the answer to this, but still. Do you notice a difference in the way the ANL? Alabama A and M, excuse me, let me say it all the way. The Alabama A University, AMU, and possibly other HBCUs who have interacted with approach the environment compared to PWIs. And this can go to jobs, this can go to schooling. You know, we already talked about recruitment and how we are together, you know. But like, have you noticed a difference in that? Well, if I would have to say if we're talking about forestry. You know, Alabama A&M, of course, is the only HBCU in the country that's accredited in forestry. Um, but we're also the only school that approaches, the only HBCU that approaches forestry in a dirt foresters setting. All other HBCUs that are, you know, cranking out forestry programs or something different, you know, something similar, urban forestry or whatever the case may be are not approaching from a dirt forestry um, standpoint. That is the major difference that I see. PWIs, they come from a dirt forester's approach, like we do. And then we take on the heavy research. We've, we've got a lot of you know people like Dr. Montague out there in, in the workforce. A lot of HBCUs cannot say that. Um, HBCUs take on the approach of, you know, utility forestry, urban forestry, um, natural resources, education, um, things like that. So that's the biggest difference that I can see. Alabama A&M being the um, outlier. Can I ask a question real quick? What's the dirt? What's the difference between that type of forestry and other other types? The dirt forestry. Okay, the dirt forester is putting on their pack with their orange vest and hard hat and going out into the forest, making management decisions from under the canopy. We're actually seeing that you're learning. Your yeah. hands on. Yeah. Hands on um, in the forest. You know, that in the forest piece is really rare across HBCUs. You know, going in and taking inventory, taking it from the plot to the environmental analysis um, with your hands and eyes. Other other HBCUs, I think, um, take a very different approach. Okay, but I think that PWIs are um, very similar. A and M is very similar in their approach um, to PWIs. But if we're talking PWI. Versus HBCUs, I think um, that it is that. That's the difference. I also want to say, I think for HBCUs, we put a little bit more into the forestry and community aspect and the people aspect. Whereas maybe with the PWIs, it's more of um, the, the the financial um, 
the the resource that's coming out of their aspect. We kind of, because we have a legacy of lands being stolen from us um, and, and lands that might not necessarily been stolen, but we just really didn't understand the importance and value of the land and the property we had. I think HBCUs kind of put a little bit more emphasis on making sure that those landowners understand the value of their land. And we do a lot of community work as far as the landowners, especially black landowners go when it comes to forestry that may not necessarily happen at PWIs because of the history we have with lands being taken or or lands um, being sold, but under sold undervalued. Um, So I think there's a lot of more research and work that goes into the community and forestry that might not happen at PWIs. You another uh, in aspect to it. Uh, when I, I remember when I was at A and M, and then I went to UGA, and you know I noticed that it was always a one way path. It wasn't the other way, right? I went to UGA. UGA people didn't come to Alabama A and M, and so you know that's another side of us encouraging ourselves to be prepared. Like, yeah, go and get this other experience, so you know, you know how you're engaging. And then come back and we still did it our way at Alabama A&M. And so I think that that's another difference is that we're willing to see the benefit of going somewhere else and not putting it above us because we're not inferior, but make sure that you come back, which I did come back and I graduated from uh, from uh, Alabama A&M. I think another, you know, difference, uh, and, and I'm not trying to go after, you know, like they already said it. I just think another difference, Helen, is that it goes back to the first thing that our leaders opened up with. It really becomes about a network versus you doing things on your own. See, I felt like when I was at UGA and I was an undergrad, it was about me. I better be able to do almost like everything, you know? So I got, I got it. I better know environmental science, which I did. I better know soil science, which I did. Dr. Andrew Manu. I better know forest protection, Dr. Ward. Better know bondage, Dr. Brown. So I, you know, so I had all of these great, and of course, can't forget Dr. Green and Dr. Hurd. You know, because they were there when we were there. When I was at Alabama a and I remember Dr. Green pulled me aside when he saw me stressing. I was stressed. And I used to have long hair. I told you, I used to have hair down to my chest. That's long hair. And my hair was after falling out on one time. And, um, and you know, he pulled me aside. And he was like, son, what are you doing? And what he said, son, what are you doing? And Because I was taking, like, I think 19 hours, like my first and my second year or something, uh, my first and second semester. And he was like, Thomas, mm-mm. he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I, I got to be good at everything. He said, no, no, no. You need to know how to have good relationships and know how to work with people who don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. It was like a good forester needs to know an environmental scientist. A good forester needs to know a good soil scientist. You need to know a good wildlife biologist. And I was like, oh. He was like, so you can go learn that stuff. He said, but don't try to, he said, don't, don't kill yourself trying to do you know, all of this stuff. He said, and, and do your best to enjoy your undergrad years. I don't know how it is now because we're 20 plus years, you know, I'm, you know, out of that. But I also remember those days, you know, whereas I feel like our professors kind of gave us, you know, the uh, the affirmation not to be a kid, but to enjoy your experience, like to take in what's going on here. Like if you want to pledge, do it. Don't let your grades drop. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to go to the classic, do it. You better make sure you're in class on Monday. Homecoming's coming up. Enjoy everything. But y'all, that's how Dr. Fields was. I better see you here on Friday. But when there was a protest about something, our professors stood behind this though. 
Mm-hmm. They were like, no, there's an injustice. And that's the that's one of the I just gotta say that was the difference I know was there versus other places that I've been, our professors encouraged us to fight against injustice. And I think it goes back to what Irish was saying when it, when we talk about coming from civil rights era parents who were engaged in the civil rights movement, you know, and and our and our teachers did that. So I don't want to say that just say love and them always. And if I said it, did that did that spark anything else? Leaders in the shadow on this place. Yeah, I was I was just gonna say all the PWIs have been at, there's been a split where there'll be some few professors that are supporting the students and the movements that they're doing or the movements are like pushing back. And then there's a lot, a lot of loud voices saying, oh, be careful. Don't necessarily do it. Come to class. Mm-hmm. Don't push too hard. Don't push back. So that's something I wish I had growing up and going to all these institutions. So, yeah. I just go ahead, Stephanie. I was just gonna say, you know, as a manager, what I noticed, and a big difference that I noticed, is that students, forestry students coming out of HBCUs, have multicultural experience. You know, we all have worked on the West Coast, in the Northwest region, in the Northeast. You know, all over the United States, whereas. PWI students, they come with local ecosystem knowledge. Um, and I have some ideas about why that is, and I'm going to get into that, but um, that's a major difference, you know, super major difference. So I think that HBCU student coming out of school with that type of experience, just having more well-rounded knowledge of ecosystem differences. You know, forestry is not the same in the South as it is on the West Coast. The the forest doesn't even look like a forest in the West Coast. Um, So, or what we think of as a forest. So it's a, you know, as a manager, I see it all the time. I was gonna say that um, coming from an HBCU, you know, there's also a misconception that HBCUs are just uh, a college full of black people. That is not the case. It is a diverse university. We have people from different countries, different nationalities, different races. We have white people that go to HBCUs. We have white people in our forestry class. As a matter of fact, at AM now, it's probably half um, black people, African-Americans and half white that um, are in the forestry department. So Mm -hmm. that's a misconception. So when we're in these classes, like I said, it's already a family. You know, if we were taking the class and somebody's struggling, you know, I'd be like, Steph, can you help me with this? Or Thomas, can you help me with this? And it's automatically, oh, y'all, let's go to the library. Let's go ahead and shoot this out. Let's get it done. And I know that things have changed, but when I was at the University of Georgia, and I love the University of Georgia, I had a great experience there, but I noticed a difference, whereas when I needed help, and this is a, a, a story that I, I, I kind of laugh at now, but I, was, I just thought it was kind of sad. Here I was getting my PhD at the University of Georgia. I already had an MBA in marketing. I was taking classes in the business department with kind of like a concentration in marketing. One of the things I loved about Georgia and and their department was that they allowed you to kind of tailor your degree that fits you. So even though I was in forestry, natural resources, getting a degree in that, they had a 
wonderful relationship with the business, the school of business, where I could go take economic classes, marketing classes, statistics classes. And I was actually in a, a marketing class, or I think it was an econometrics class or something to that effect. And they, the way they do their marketing um, program is they kind of have like a cohort of marketing students that come in at certain times. So everybody that is in that particular class is graduating at the same time in marketing. And so we were taking this class and we're doing statistics and we were using SAS and I wasn't really familiar with SAS at that time. And I asked one of the young ladies in the class, you know, to kind of help me through with this. You know, I'm used to, like I said, my colleagues, my my friends, my, my family saying, oh, okay, this is how you do it. She was like, it's in the notes. You can figure it out. And I was just like, that's how y'all do here. You know what I mean? And it wasn't, it wasn't that family dynamics. It was like, I'm here to get my degree and, you know, I'm going to do whatever I need to do. It was a competition kind of thing. And I was like, but I already have a, a, a MBA, concentration in marketing. I'm, I'm not trying to compete with you for any spots. I just asked for a little assistance. And I've, I learned that. And it, that wasn't the first time it was, you know, you try to give your opinion. Oh, I had a class where um, we were, it was kind of like a simulation where you, you sell products and you, you figure out the best price for the product. And we were in a group. And when it was time for the presentation, I said, I think we should do a PowerPoint. They were like, no, we'll be fine. But I really think we should do a PowerPoint. <laughs> And when we got up there, the professor was like, well, why didn't y'all do a PowerPoint or something to show me these numbers? And I was like, and so, you know, I, I just kind of feel like you don't have it that that family network um, because of the bigger size of classes and probably because, you know, it's more a lot of times a lot of the competition. And like I said, I can only speak on Georgia in my time there. You know, I can't speak on all the PWIs, but that was my experience. So I was like, this is how they do it here? Huh. <laughs> and, and I think that, that that transcends into the workplace. It does. So we we can all probably remember when we, you know, we converted over entry level, right? So now we're there permanently full time. And you're looking for um, some sense of family. You're looking for your unit when you get to your unit, right? Your duty station. And they're not there. You know, that. The people at the unit have a whole different idea. They're like, you know, you figured out. Nobody helped me. You figured out. And there was a transition phase coming from, you know, your family. I know where all of my professors live. I've been I've been to their house. I've eaten dinner from their kitchen. I've worked on their farm. Um, I've attended barbecues at their house. We came from that to the workplace. And there was a transition there, you know, and it was it was noticeable. So, yes, I agree 100 percent. And we knew how to work with everybody because that's what we had to do at a HBCU. It wasn't just I'm working with people that look like me. No, we had all type of people. We had people who English wasn't their first language, you know, people who had different cultures and believed in different things. We work with all types of people. So when we get into the work world, we already know how to do that. So it's not a shock when we like, oh, she don't look like me or he doesn't look like me or they don't talk like me or, you know, they they English is not their first language kind of thing. It was like, oh, well, it's cool. Been there, done that. But for others, it might not be that where it's like uncomfortable, where they're not 
sure how to react because they're not used to being in those situations. Absolutely. They did a great job, basically. So, leaders, as we get ready to go down the home stretch, as they say, I want to ask you individually a question. Okay. So, I want to start with, let me start with you, Stephanie. Okay. Being that we're talking about, we're talk, talking about diversity. And, you know, in terms of equity, well, let me say this. I know, Iris, you have, you, you have an opinion too, but. You know, sure. So please just welcome it. You know, I'm just, I'm just directing this to Steph because of her position and what she's doing. In terms of equity, diversity, and, and and inclusivity, how have you seen the U.S. Forest Service excel, you know, um, in the work that we're doing? You know, and what ways can they continue to progress? Well, you know, in the industry, it takes money to do these things. I have seen the Forest Service does a good job of developing candidate pools. So, you know, developing forestry students to become quality assets to our agency, to the forestry industry as a whole. Um, And all of that takes money. Um, I think that USDA as a whole does a really good job of putting their money where their mouth is. Um, And also, you know, holding... We're, we're just getting into some compliance pieces um, where units are having to make good on the commitment that the Forest Service has made um, as expressed in its core values. Increasing workforce diversity um, and inclusivity is one of, is, you know, a few of those core values. So I've seen the USDA, Forest Service in particular, make, real, make good on that by increasing the number of students that they support, like the program that Iris was talking about. She was in the, US, the USDA 1890 Scholars Program. This year, we've doubled our commitment. So we brought in X number of scholars last year, um, and we've, we're doubling that number. All of that takes money because, you know, as Dr. Montague talked about before, you know, your tuition is paid and all these benefits happen for you. Um, so that it takes money, the level of outreach. I've seen the the U.S. Forest Service excel. You know that two years ago, as we embarked upon this whole DEI mission, you know, back in 2020, I didn't realize that people didn't know what HBCU meant. There are more people who didn't know what HBCU meant then there are people who know. So, um, you know, just um, program delivery, program delivery just upping, increasing, increasing personnel. You know, the USDA has stood up several new branches of the department to deal with this issue specifically. Um, They're working hard on barrier analysis and implementation. Um, I was just... You know, I was just realigned over to that team. So I see it happening. I think the USDA Forest Service is doing a great job uh, in making the commitment. And we've got a long way to go um, because as we talk about it, SA up, we know because of the bar- barrier analysis that we have conducted in our lives, you know, um, our experiential learning, 
we know that there's a huge disconnect between the leaders who write um, these commitments and pen and publish these core values and the people on the ground, you know, 10 tiers down who actually implement. So, you know, if I talk about what the U.S. Forest Service is doing, we're getting in that gap. There's a gap there and we're, you know, closing the circuit. And that's where I am. Um, that's where I'm concentrating my efforts. You know, on this last leg of my career, because I'm going to be, you know, I hope to retire in the next 10 years. So the last leg of my career is going to be closing the circuit in that gap. You're retire in your 20s. You need to tell out with that, man. I am 20. I'm, I'm retiring too. Me and Stephanie are going to be together retiring. Y'all going to do that, retiring in your 20s. Y'all know y'all going to stop. No, 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 leaders, y'all. Come on, my 50. That's crazy. Anybody will believe that. But I didn't. <laughs> well, thank you for that answer. And, uh, you know, Doc, if you want to add, you know, you can, but then I have a question for you. I just want to 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 agree with Stephanie, and I think one of the things that has kind of been a catalyst for this is because we have our first, um, as you know, a lot of people say African-American black chief, and I think, oh, you know, when things have affected you, where you have experience in those, think priorities shift, and I think because we have him as our chief, he understands the importance of DNI, and so a lot of things have um, been initiated since he became chief. I'm looking forward to his tenure as our chief. Looking forward to um, additional things that happen in the Forest Service. Um, we still have a long way to go. Um, like I say, even in 2023, we still have a long way to go. But I do like how we have started this race, and I hope that we continue to expound upon that. It will go U.S. Forest Service. You hear, you hear your folks giving you props now. So yeah, ain't gonna say different. So thank you all for what you do. So Dr. Monaghan, Iris, I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. Do millennials know where wood come from? I'm playing. 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 Not yet. No, <laughs> And Stephanie, you may have thoughts on this too. You know, being that you are, you know, standing in the gap and bringing people in. But Doc, you know, what has been the most interesting thing that you've seen in your research? And maybe particularly your work related to you. So once again, a lot has not changed since we started forestry. People just not aware of forestry and natural resources. I would say more probably are. Um, but if you look at the colleges around the country that have forestry and natural resources, the enrollment is still low. Um, a lot of People in my research, I determined that a lot of people have a negative um, opinion on uh, the forest products industry because they see trees being cut down and they think it's bad. Well, how you how do you build houses? How how do you um, you know provide fuel? How do you do all these things that you do with wood if you don't cut them? And you know they're not aware that we have. We are a sustainable sustainable industry. Um, you know, we replant two to one, um, probably even more than that. Um, and they just automatically think that we are harming the environment when we cut down these trees. Um, they also have a negative perception on uh, the career. They think, and and I hate to say, it, I'm just gonna put it like this. You know, we we just 
a bunch of dumb hillbillies that don't get paid much. We, you know, we, we're not very educated. Um, they have those perceptions. And unfortunately, us as an industry don't do a good job of telling our story. Um, and that's one of the things that we need to do because there, you know, if you go into forestry, there are so many different jobs you can have. You don't have to log trees. That's not the only thing that we do. And unfortunately, that's all, you know, people see and think. I'm going to be out in the woods. I'm going to be logging trees. Well, what about the geneticists? What about the people who are in the labs doing stuff that chem- chemical analysis? There's so much you can do in forestry that the youth are just not aware of. They're not really aware that it's a, a career choice, number one. Um, the research we did that hasn't come out yet, but we did um, uh, uh, some research on why people choose careers or choose uh, curriculum choices when going to college. And one of the questions we asked them is, does your school have a forestry natural resource program? There were, an, huh? What was it? Our school? We're, talk, we're talking, uh, we asked college students if their college had a natural resource or a forestry program. And you would be amazed a number of students who said no, but their school actually had one. So that's an indication that the school, the department in itself is not doing a good job promoting themselves if you got students who don't even know you exist. Um, so a lot of that is going on where people just don't know, okay, I can actually, you know, get a major in forestry. And if I get a major in forestry, I don't necessarily have to be outside all day, every day. I don't even go outside. You know what I mean? I do. I sit at a computer doing research. And, but those are the misconceptions, if they even know about it. You know, I still have family members who ask me, so what do you do? I'll be like, I'm a forester. And then they'll be like, so you're a park ranger? No. <laughs> Rangers everybody. But no, we're not park rangers. And so, I, I, like I said, I think, um, you know, that goes back to the question you asked of how do we get environmentalist um, people into uh, HBCUs or into college. It, you really have to, like Stephanie said, start young. You need to have these career fairs. You need to have these educational outreach programs where you let people know that this is a choice. Because we, we had we a lot of country boys that came from L.A., lower Alabama, that we went to school with who... <laughs> would have loved forestry, but just didn't know it was an option. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and, and another thing is a misconception by a lot of families because we've had people say, well, I wanted to do that, but my mom said, no, you're not majoring in that. And they have a misconception that it's not a way to make a living. And we need to, we need to educate parents on that because we are all successful, all doing well. But they think, okay, I'm gonna send my child out here, and they gonna be in the woods, and they ain't gonna make any money, and that kind of you know mentality. Well, that's not the case. Um, you know, your student could be very successful in this career. You don't always start off, but you don't always end where you started off in this career. Um, there's a lot of versatility. There's a lot of different transitions you can make. There's a little, lot of paths you can take. But like I said, we don't do a good job of promoting that. And people really don't understand what all we do or what all can be done in this profession and in this industry. Wow. Uh, does that just stuff? Uh, Stephanie, excuse me, do you have anything you want to add? You know, not you have to, just 
No, I think ours covered it all. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we look, I'm still cooking with excitement over here. I've enjoyed talking to you too. I actually have more. I think that we kind of need to do a part two. Uh, just because I'd love to talk some more about the perceptions of forestry and what we, what else we could do, you know, about that and the impact environmentally that we have versus, you know, the impact like that some of our professions may think that we have and then perception of some who don't or outside of our perception, you know, may think that we have, you know, so I'd love to, you know, to almost like do to, to do a part two, but I never leave what I ask my classmates. Do you have anything that you want to say to us or ask us? You know, we talked about so much. And we talked about, but in particular, forest attending Alabama and the university, H, working at HBCUs, um, engaging with PWIs, attending PWIs, having a decorated career, uh, still looking in your 20s, almost 50, how you maintain that, uh, you know, and being in your home state, going to school there. But as Stephanie said, being multi-coastal, being at an institution that knows how to do barrier analysis. I'm, I'm right. I had to write that down, Stephanie, because I actually hadn't heard those terms put together until you were teaching us for our presentation last year. And um, just is there anything else uh, that, that that you want to say or I guess, you know, to ask us if that if that, you know, you're the most important people here. So I just want to say that if there is anybody in the listening audience who feels like forestry could be for them or they want to have an opportunity to consider forestry to figure out what it is, um, I've got a paid summer program. Um, in the, the month of June in Alabama A&M, we're going to put you on campus, give you a meal card, um, hook you up with some of the best and brightest in the forestry industry, and you can um, get your feel and make your decision and hopefully choose forestry in the fall. If you are an incoming student, any major, doesn't necessarily have to be forestry or natural resources sciences, any major. And you want to attend an 1890 HBCU, we've got the Golden Ticket Scholarship available. It's open right now. If you go to USDA 1890 Scholarships, you just Google it. There's an application there. It's a full-ride scholarship that covers all fees, tuition, books, fees, housing, room and board, travel, to a paid summer internship every summer, your college career, and a permanent full-time position with USDA upon graduation. There is no other scholarship out there in the world that will offer you all of that. All you need is a 3.0 GPA. So that's what I want to leave your listeners with is, you know, not only are there so many opportunities, um, to do what we're doing and more, um, but there is financial resources to help you develop yourself. So I'll leave you with that. And I just want to say after Stephanie's commercial that um, <laughs> that if we we we're going to talk about uh, promoting stuff. Um, as a, a, a female scientist in the Forest Service, I also want to say for any forestry natural resource students that are out there listening that are about to graduate, always think about getting an advanced degree, especially if you are a minority. We, we cannot feel that science capacity for diverse hires because people either graduate and um, go straight into the workforce. They don't go get those advanced degrees. 
So, you know, think about that, you know, contemplate on your your next path. Um, I know a lot of students say, well, I want to graduate. I want to get paid. I need a job. Well, if you go to grad school, you are positioning yourself to get paid more, to be able to advance your more marketable. Um, so if you are thinking about, you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, Dr. Easley will kind of put some way for us to be contacted. But if you're thinking about grad school or opportunities, we're always here to, you know, give you some advice, talk to you about that. Um, but I think it's very important that we, we start pushing advanced degrees um, for our people. Yeah, you heard that Alabama A&M Golden Ticket Scholarship full tuition paid. You heard it from Doc as well. We need to uh, promote advanced degrees as our brother here is doing that himself at the moment in particular, and all of us have done it. Uh, I'll close by saying this. So you want to diversify. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a piece. I'm putting it in the atmosphere so we know we have to continue publishing on it. Uh, but my classmates and I did a presentation last year at the Society of American Foresters Conference. It was one of the highlights of the conference. You know, uh, you know, am I just only low light not having a third of us there? Uh, you know, it's something that people want to continue to talk about. And I close with that because we are working on information for education to teach people that you want to know, how do I diversify? How do I retain diverse talent? Uh, what, what is the reason why I'm not getting it? You know, and, and how do we help people to retire in this industry and retire in this industry without being depleted? I want to say that, that I'm thankful to be with my classmates who are publishing with, writing with, have presented with, and done things with. And just to let you know that our career is continuing to thrive together thanks to the Hill, thanks to Alabama Agricultural and Mechanical University. Say it short, AAMU, Bulldogs. So I want to thank y'all for being here. The Marshall Maroon and White, you know, gorgeously represented, of course. You know what I'm saying? Huntsville, doubly gorgeously represented, of course. And then, of course, Mississippi is representing here now, having you over there. You know, of course, my brother. Minnesota, California, Nigeria. So we just popping on here. Okay. This this podcast is diverse just like going to an HBC. It's just absolutely. So uh, I want to thank you for real, my friends. You know, I hope people, I know you all will enjoy this. Please just a uh, last thing I want to take away is I just want to get people is the the barrier analysis, how to eradicate injustice, increasing workforce diversity, um, implementing things and how we learn through experiential learning. I just want to say that uh, I took a lot of notes here. There's a lot more that I could put out there, but I just want to close with that and say thank you for your brilliance. Thank you for your service, because it is service. Thank you uh, for your patience, because that thing is take more of that than anything. And, uh, but also thank you for your willingness to stay in this industry, to, to continue to make the hill better, Stephanie. And thank you to take your talents over to Mississippi and continue to make that better to ours. Thank you. And, um, Everybody if you, uh, who's, who's listened to this, as you see, we're proud Bulldogs here on this podcast, and that's all four of us. So we thank you, you know, for tuning in, listening. This is Stephanie Love. This is Dr. Iris Montague. It's me and myself, my friend, Mr. Bennett Alupo, signing off. Till next time, or without. Peace.